Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You say alocasia, I say bloody hell, I'm not growing one of those, they're really difficult. why I'm in such a good mood today, but I hope it's infectious. In this week's show, I'm joined by listener and grower German Rivera to talk all about two genera that can trip the best of us up. That's Alocasia and Maranta from his perspective as a grower in Long Beach, California. And yes, I am jealous. Whether you have one house plant or a thousand, and I'm guessing there are some of you with that many plants, I know you so well, this is the podcast for you. On the Ledge brings you the vital stuff you need to know about indoor gardening, channeled through the medium of me, your host, Jane Perone. So welcome. I'm delighted that you are here. And a jazz hands welcome for Natalie and Anonymous who offered up a donation to On The Ledge this week, helping to keep this show going. Natalie did it via PayPal and anonymous via co-fi.com. So thank you to both of them. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, please head over there. I've got a very, very short survey for you to fill out to find out what you like and what you don't like about my Patreon offering. It's a kind of monthly crowdfunding platform if you're not familiar. And I'd love to know from current patrons what you think of it. If you fill it out, you get to enter my prize draw for a swag bag of On The Ledge merch. And if you're not a patron but want to become one, then you'll find details for that and all the other ways to support the show at janeperone.com. One of the many delights of making this podcast is discovering listeners around the world who can share their growing experiences with me. And patron and listener German Rivera is doing just that this week. German joined me via the medium of the internet to chat about two plant genera that we grow indoors, but sometimes don't find the easiest to handle, Alocasia and Maranta. And I'll also find time to answer a question about making trailing plants fuller. So settle down, grab yourself a cup of tea or other beverage of your choice, and let's begin. My name is German Rivera. I live in Long Beach, California. I've been collecting plants for about four years now. I started collecting in 2018 when uh, my girlfriend gave me a Minorelia. I actually had plants before that too, I, but it wasn't anything that I paid a lot of attention to. I had a Euphorbia trigona, which I believe it's the African milk tree. 
And I had a Crassula Ovada, which I know you're a big fan of, that grew massive, even though I hardly paid any attention to it. And before I moved into my new place, I was living in a 500 square feet, uh, one bedroom apartment, and I had close to 200 plants in there. But at the new house, you know, it's, it's a really big house with a yard and everything. So funny enough, I actually have less plants now than I did back then. But. Well, you started off your obsession with house plants with a Ming Aurelia. I mean, that was a kind of a, an interesting gift uh, on behalf of your girlfriend. I don't think they're that easy. Perhaps you disagree. This is the one thing about me. I'm very obsessively... Um, a researcher. If I it's, if something lands on my hand, whether it's a book or a film or anything, I gotta research where it came from. And so I did the same thing with Ming Aurelia, and I figure out how to grow it, and it's still alive now. It's been with me, you know, four years, and it's doing great. Oh well, that's good to hear. I love your approach. Research is key, as we know. What's really interesting with on the ledge is having this global audience, because although in a way, gardening indoors is similar around the world. Actually, it's not the same depending on where you grow stuff. And we were talking off air about previously, German, about alocasias. And we heard from uh, the lovely Rose uh, in a previous episode. But I want to hear about your experiences growing alocasias where you do. Tell me about the challenges and the joys. Well, the funny thing is, when I was listening to that podcast, a lot of the things she was saying just didn't make sense to me because my experience is quite different than what she was doing. I have about 12, I want to say, I stopped counting plants, by the way, a while back because I just don't want to know anymore. <laughs> but um, very, very wise. <laughs> but I have about 12 allocations under my care, and all of them are under different conditions. Most of them are in my house, but I do have a Regal Shields that grows outside and i have a i believe it's called the mayan mask and that's growing in my greenhouse which is a new addition to my growing experience um the greenhouse is probably about three months old and so i'm still trying to learn how, how things kind of grow in there but he seems to be happy i i got the allocation specifically for the uh for the greenhouse and it's put out probably like four new leaves since I got it. So I'm thinking it's liking it in there. And then I have a, a lot of smaller allocation, like a stingray, the Amazonica. I, I have a few dragon scale allocation living inside. Uh, and, you know, they all need a little bit of different care, but overall they're pretty much the same. Um, in full disclosure, I live about a mile away from the ocean. So I think that helps with the environment, not only in my house, but also outdoors. We, we do get a lot of like misty mornings, which I, I'm pretty sure helps the plants a lot. Just describe where you live climate wise. I'm sort of imagining ocean breezes and big skies of California. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> um, the, the ocean breeze, those come in, um, especially during the fall, the colder colder, you know, unquotes, um, whether it's actually the best time for, for plants out here because it's, it doesn't get too cold and we do get a lot of, um, nice, um, ocean breeze. Summer can be a little on the drier side, but overall we do, I don't think the humidity here in Long Beach goes below 40 at any time. 
for the most part, it stays around 50, which means that indoors it can go up to 65 um, for a good chunk of the of the year. And how does that affect the way you're handling your plants then? I mean, it, it, is it a question of battling air conditioning or highlight levels? Highlight levels, it's a big issue, uh, especially at my old place. I was on the second floor. I had a south-facing window, and I was like, oh, I can grow anything in here. But at some point, I actually had to move my plants way back from the south-facing window uh, just because a lot of them were getting scorched. So that that is a big issue. We do have a lot of sunny days here, obviously, and and that makes um, that can make growing a little difficult. Uh, in terms of humidity, again, like I said, kind of just it it's pretty stable. And I'll talk a little bit more about humidity uh, once we get into care, because I feel like that is one of the most misunderstood parts of growing plants. I was guilty of it myself with, you know, buying humidifiers. But I, I think I've, I've learned how to handle that. <laughs> well, OK, where do we start with care then? I guess substrate is the other key thing for alocasias just assisting you getting watering right if you've got the right substrate. So one of the things that I um, that I do is I mix my own uh, soil and I tend to avoid, uh, again, thanks to your podcast, anything peat-based, I try not to, to buy. I use a good combination of orchid bark, cocoa choir, either perlite or vermiculite. I've actually been getting more into using vermiculite than perlite. I just, I like the way it looks and it, and it feels a little, I don't know, it just feels a little more healthier for the plant for some reason. And I use a, a little bit of sphagnum to, to retain humidity in there. So that's kind of like the, the substrate. And I use that across for all my tropicals. Um, I, I like it fast draining because I tend to water quite a bit. So that helps with it. But I also like to keep the the, the soil nice and moist for, for the plants. Uh, evenly moist, I guess, is the, is the correct term. Yeah, if you get the substrate right, then watering becomes so much easier, doesn't it? Because you can keep the soil evenly moist without it holding on so much water that you're causing root rot problems. And uh, alocasia seem to succumb fairly easily if you don't get that right. There's actually a misconception, at least, again, this is all based on my experience about alocasia um, not liking to sit in water. But if you look at the way they grow in their natural habitats, they're usually at the very edge of ponds or other bodies of water where their roots are basically submerged in water all the time. So I tend to kind of think of it in terms of a, of a balance. Make sure you give it enough light then they can actually take as much water as you give them. So one of the things that I've learned about allocation is that they love bright light. I prefer to put them, you know, pretty close to a south or an east-facing window. And actually, most of the ones indoors, uh, especially the jewel allocations like the Dragon Scale or um, the Black Velvet, I put them fairly close to to an east-facing window in my in my living room where in the morning they get about two hours of really bright morning light, which is obviously not as harsh as like your afternoon sun. And if you have a south-facing window, I, you know, I just move them away from it as much as they can, but they still get a good amount of light there. Um, so bright light is key for alocasia, definitely. I would not put them in, in medium or low light 
because that is what kills them. And uh, full disclosure, I killed my first alocasia by keeping it in the dark, thinking, oh, it's going to grow on my desk. And it was the desk didn't get any sunlight at all. So that's that's how it died. <laughs> oh, so I'm sure there are millions of alocasias facing the same fate because people think, oh, you know, they don't need a lot of light. They're going to they, I don't want to burn them. And as a result, they end up dead quite quickly, <laughs> quite quickly. Um, it's a sad it's a sad reality. There was a guest that you had a, a, a little while back, and I remember him saying something about get to the level of your plant and look out the window. If you see the sky, then it's going to get a good amount of light. And I kind of yeah, live by that yeah. rule. I don't remember who that was, but I remember thinking... That was Houseplant Journal. Yeah, I think it's Daryl Cheng. Uh, yes, great advice. Really great advice. And provided that, you know, you give plants a chance to acclimatize to extra light, you know, it really does pay off. I'm, I would agree with you completely on that. Do you find that uh, alocasia leaves do as monster leaves do and really sort of turn to get the full effect of that sun? I, I find that monster leaves and other arid leaves, they really do actually move quite quickly in the direction of that light source. It's quite amazing to watch. Yeah, actually they do. I've noticed it even from day to day. I have an alocasia stingray. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It has really long yeah. stems and the butterfly type of shape uh, or stingray kind of shape leaf. Um, I turn it almost every single day. <laughs> and I yeah. notice, I've noticed that the leaf, you know, if, if the leaf is facing away from the window, it, it kind of turns upside down to get the light. And it happens within a couple of days. It doesn't, it doesn't take weeks. It just a couple of days and it, it, it's already trying to absorb as much light as possible just by going upside down almost. So that's light and substrate. I mean, do you do you have some special concoction for the water and and feed, or uh, do you just so, use tap water? Or so for my allocation, um, I mainly use tap water. Um, I do have an aquarium, which means I get to switch water out um, on a regular basis, which gives me some really good uh, fertilizer for all my plants. That dirty water from the aquarium. I, I tend to water with that because also I just don't want to throw it out and, and, you know, it's full of nutrients. So I don't do that often. I, I would say I do that maybe once a month. I do I water it with aquarium water, but for the most part, it's just tap water and a very, very diluted, um, organic fertilizer, uh, liquid fertilizer. I just, you know, usually I think the bottle says eight pumps per gallon. I do like a really quick pump into the water can and I water with that. Uh, in that, I, I notice the difference when I don't fertilize and when I fertilize. It is important to do it. It's just, I think sometimes people think that more is more, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, isn't the case with, uh, with fertilizers. So we talked, you, t you mentioned stingray there. The, the dragon scale ones are obviously hugely popular too. Is there one that's particularly, I'm, I'm not going to say your favorite because I know that's impossible, but is there one that you're <laughs> particularly proud of? getting to a really good state so i have a variegated aurora i believe it's the name of it uh, i got that from a friend of mine and when i first got it it dropped i want to say most of its leaves and it had one <laughs> left and yeah. um right now it's on its fourth leaf and it also has a pup which it happens to be variegated too so i'm very proud of the way that one's growing um 
I, I thought it was going to be difficult because of the variegation, but it seems to be doing pretty well. And yeah, uh, that that and the stingray are probably my favorites. I love the stingray. I just love the 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 weirdness of it and the way the the leaves emerge. They're just amazing. What's the variegation like on the aurora? Is it kind of cream splashed or something else? It's uh, uh, very similar to an albo monstera. Have you seen the the albo syngoniums? It kind of reminds me of that a lot. Yeah. So it's it's very white. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. And what what do you do in terms of pots? I mean, I saw a good meme recently, which is like new houseplant person, cheap plant in a really expensive pot experienced house plant plant person really expensive plant in like an old plastic coffee cup which really resonated <laughs> with me i don't know what you use for your pots as a visual artist and designer i tend to gravitate towards well-designed um, pottery and i'm not gonna lie i've spent quite a bit of money on some pottery um so for my alocasia and in plants that like to be moist i actually use um ceramic planters for the most part they're all in the planter itself uh but i do have a few uh, especially when i first get them i put them in plastic um those translucent plastic containers so i can keep an eye on the roots but yeah i i used to keep everything in nursery pots and then just put them in cash pots but now i'm more of a you know what i have this really nice pot i want to use it i want it to be displayed so i i actually just put all my plants in, in their pots nowadays. I like that technique, but I always worry then that I don't have the right stylish saucer to go underneath it. Or do you have some other method that avoids that problem? I have saucers that I've bought specifically for for pots. Uh, the one thing that I do, I do water a lot in my sink. So I, I mm. water in the sink um, and then I um, I let it sit there for a little while. And then I usually put like a, a towel or something underneath it on the counter and just let it sit for a little bit longer. Uh, but actually, most of the pots that I have come with their own saucer. That's that's actually kind of oh. like a big thing for me. I try to buy pots that that have that come as a unit. Mm, yeah, that it looks so much better, doesn't it? If it's been designed for the actual container. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, LBE Design? Uh, they do really nice ceramic pot pots. They're very minimal. They're, um, they come in a few different colors, but the saucer fits perfectly under it. And all you see, it's like a little line around the pot where the, where the saucer begins. Ah, uh, that sounds nice. Yeah. It's hard to find the ideal saucer that, uh, is the right size shape color depth etc it's a struggle <laughs> more from german shortly but now a question and it's about training plants and how one can avoid that spindly look that you sometimes experience and this question comes from Nick, who used the contact form on my website, janeperone.com, to get in touch, which is absolutely fine. If you need to send photos, though, the best way to do it is to email me at ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. There are two major things to take into account here. Uh, one is light. It's all, It's kind of always light, isn't it? 
if you've got a trailing plant of any kind that is looking spindly and the leaves are not really performing, my first thought would be, is it in enough light? So often plants just stop growing when they're not receiving enough light. It happened to me recently with a Hoya that I'd kind of stuck somewhere out of the way. As soon as I moved it to a much brighter spot, those leaves started growing in. So I would always say spindly trailing plants, give them a bit more light and see what happens. Assuming they are getting enough light, there are sometimes things that you can do to give them that fuller appearance. And it's all about propagation. So depending on the plant in question, there are two things you can do. The first is just to take some growth off the plant. As you'll know if you've listened to the show before, by taking out the growing point, you encourage the plant hormones that prompt growth to transfer their attention to the side shoots or the buds that form those side shoots rather and make the plant bush outwards rather than continuing their journey straight down. Seeing as you're taking some cuttings, it's then worth propagating those cuttings and once they've rooted, you can add them back into the top of the pot. Now, let's not be mistaken, some plants are always going to have that slightly threadbare look at the base of the plant. That's just because of the way they grow. Listen back to the Tradescantia episode with the delightful Avery Row, and you'll hear more about that. Often trailing plants do lose leaves as they go along and focus their energy in the, the growth point. But definitely returning rooted cuttings to the top of the pot will help to make sure that you've got just more stems and more leaves and therefore a less threadbare look. How do you add those stems? Well, all I would do is just take the plant out of its pot, have a look at the root situation. If the pot isn't really root bound, you can probably just snuggle those cuttings in there, making sure not to damage those new roots in using some kind of small dibber or small tool or or a chopstick just to make a bit of room in there in that in any bare soil and put those cuttings in once they're rooted if the whole thing is looking root bound then you may need to repot and add the plant to a bigger pot and at that point you'll be able to hopefully just nestle those new cuttings in around the edge of the pot in that new compost. That's the best way to do it for everything from aroids like uh, philodendron scandanes to uh, sedum burrow's tail or serapegia woodii, the string of hearts. All of those plants can be propagated and made fuller and that way hopefully your plant will look that little bit more leafy. But first things first, do check the light because that's often the thing that is lacking Uh, I say this every time, but I'm just going to say it in case this is the first time you've listened to the show. It's easy to think, oh, Jane said put it in light. So immediately you put it in blazing sun or even just up the light level significantly. This can cause sunburn. So any light changes need to be done gradually so the plant can adapt. And remember, at this time of year, I'm recording this in July 2022 in the northern hemisphere, the sun is really strong. So you have to take extra care. But on the whole, extra light is almost always a good thing for plants if you introduce it in the right way. Talk about light 
water feeding, substrate, what other alocasia tricks have you got for us? Um, honestly, light and watering, that's the key. And do not worry if your alocasia drops all of its leaves when you first bring it home. My, my uh, silver dragon, when I first got it, it was a mess because I, I got it shipped and it came out of its pot during the during shipping. So all the roots were like all over the place. Uh, it had three good leaves, uh, but one of them was already on its way out. So I was really sad about it. When I potted it up, it dropped all its leaves. So all I had was the little uh, corm just sitting there. And eventually, it's actually one of the most successful uh, allocations that I have now because, let me see, I have it in front of me. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight leaves. And let them acclimate. That's the one thing. And like you said, you know, if you're going to place it in, in bright light, it's going to, the, the original leaves might not be, you know, acclimated to that. So it's probably going to lose those leaves. Once the new leaves come out, they'll, they'll be acclimated for that light. As with everything plant-related, and it took me a while to realize this, patience is the key. <laughs> I am far, far, far from an alocasia grower. But one of the be benefits I can see is that unlike, say, some of the plants I like, like, a, I don't know, a columnar cactus or something, with that, you know, you get damage and that's it. The damage is going to be there forever. <laughs> Whereas with an alocasia, like if it drops the leaves... It can still come back and the new leaves are all lovely and perfect. And that's quite a good feeling. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, my uh, variegated Aurora, uh, one of the newer leaves got chewed up by our cat. <laughs> oh. And I was I was upset at first, you know, because it was the first new leaf that I got from it. Uh, but it has three other leaves right now that are perfect. So. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing about I think most aeroids in general that or most um, foliage plants that eventually you'll get new leaves and, and they'll look great. Yeah, it is. It's a big plus. I'm, it's not going to make me start growing loads of alocasias, but <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think I've got the mindset for it. But then again, I said that with begonias and now my begonias are I've I, I feel like I've mastered begonias, not terrarium types but ones that can cope with um general room humidity i feel like i've conquered so who knows what might happen in future it, it's a huge genus and there's so many i mean we have begonias growing outdoors here you know there, yeah, there's people growing yeah yeah so you can grow them indoors you can grow them outdoors and there's so many different ones that i'm sure there's a perfect one for your climate or you know for yeah, everyone's exactly. climate yeah I agree. I agree. Well, that's for another episode. We're here to talk about alocasias, but also if we've covered enough on alocasias, another one of my, the genus that I probably would say I don't enjoy, <laughs> don't enjoy growing, the Marantas. Yeah. They're so popular. They're, you know, flying out of the big box stores and the specialist house plant shops because they just look so gorgeous. But lots of people, again, like the alocasia struggle, don't they? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was just listening to the latest episode of uh, Plant Daddy podcast. And um, I think I believe it was Matthew that basically said he's given up on them. <laughs> uh, well, I should chat to him because I've literally got I actually can't give this away. I'll tell you this. I have a Maranta lemon lime, which is my last prayer plant that I haven't given away because I've just decided, Jane, this is not your genus. I cannot give this plant away. When I've like advertised it on local groups, I've kind of said, this is not a beginner's plant. This is quite hard. So don't, you know, like I don't want it to go to somebody who's going to be completely naive and not understand how to look after it. It's doing fine, but it's sat in a plastic box and I, I'm not able to enjoy it because as soon as I take it out of the plastic box, it gets red spider mites. So uh, that's my issue. <laughs> That's so interesting because the lemon lime aranta is actually the the prayer plant that I tell people to begin with, which is kind of funny. My experience with it is that it grows like a weed for me. I actually have two of them. I have one uh, that's hanging in the guest bedroom, and then we have one in the kitchen where the kitchen conditions are not the best, but it's doing well in there, so... <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I've grown, um, you know, prayer plant, family plants very successfully in the past. And I think with this one, it's just that just the humidity is not right for the plant uh, in, in my home. And I've got to the point now where I'm like, I've got so many plants that I just I need to focus down on particular genera. And I've decided that this is not the genera for me. But I mean, <laughs> I, I remember as a child, my parents having Maranta, the traditional yeah. uh, red veined one and being very successful with it. But lots of people do struggle. I might be able to help you with this then, because I struggle with them, too, at the very beginning. But, you know, I currently have I want to say maybe 10 of them. And again, I have three in the greenhouse currently that are doing really well. And then the rest of them are living in the house where I think my current humidity right now, it's about 57, which is good for them. But it's also a light and watering issue, just like with alocasia. Um, but they really don't like bright light. That's the one thing that I've noticed. So uh, uh, they're on the completely opposite spectrum of alocasia in terms of light. They like... They don't want to be in darkness, but they definitely like medium light. Uh, I have three growing in a, near a north-facing window in our bathroom, and they're doing really well. But watering, just like with alocasia, make sure it, they stay evenly moist. The, the minute they, they go dry, that's when you get pissed. In, in my, again, in my experience, it has nothing to do with humidity. It has everything to do with uh, consistency when it comes to um, marantasia. You you got to give them a consistent amount of light and a consistent amount of water. But also, once you find a good spot for them, don't move them. Just leave them there and they'll reward you with growth. I think that's maybe where I went wrong because, I mean, I've had that particular plant. I had it in my office bathroom and it was doing really well for ages. But I do find it's just so prone to spider mite. And maybe it's because, and I really struggle watering plants consistently anyway i'm much better with plants that like to dry out between waterings but it just every time i mean i even had it in this plastic box and treated it time and time again for spider mite and again this plant is just it's just a spider mite magnet i mean how do you treat spider mite on on these plants it's funny because that's one of the things that i i always get a lot of questions about 
uh, especially for both alocasia and uh, and prayer plants. I feel like people hate them because of the pest issues that that they have with them. Alocasia amazonica is the perfect example of a plant that I've heard so many people say, I'm never going to buy that plant again because within a week it's covered in spider mites. So this is the way I handle that. And obviously you got to have a little bit of extra time. I work from home, so it kind of works for me. But what I do, at the very least, every time I water either one, alocasia or, or, the, prayer, or the prayer plants, I spray them. I have a, a bottle with a little bit of like alcohol. I believe it, you know, if it's like a 16 ounce bottle, I put about two to four ounces of uh, rubbing alcohol in there and I spray all the leaves and I just spray them and let this sit there in the sink. I try to do that every, at least once a week, you know, or like I said, whenever I water them. And that really helps. I feel like that helps a lot uh, in terms of keeping pests at bay. My oldest prayer plant is uh, Makoyana that I actually got from Enid at NSC Tropicals, and it's two and a half years old now. Um, when I first got that plant, I think it got spider mites probably like five different times. But when I started doing the, the spraying on a regular basis, it's been clean. It's the happiest plant ever. Um, it actually just gave me a ton of new growth where the leaves are almost double the size of the original leaves. So they, they water. I remember reading something or hearing something about spider mites being hydrophobic, which means they're afraid of water. And that just kind of hit something in my brain where I'm like, well, if they're afraid of water, then just keep water, keep throwing water at them. And that seems to work for me. I think part of the problem is because they're not a visible pest, people don't realise they've got them until it's reached a very dire state of affairs when they can actually see the webbing. And then they get disheartened because at that point, probably all that foliage is going to have to be cut off and the plant ends up being chucked away. Despite the fact that, like my Maranta, like several times I just chopped off all the foliage and it did grow straight back. And so like the alocasias, you've got that benefit of growing from the rhizome and being able to just uh, regrow new leaves, which is great. But I think a lot of people just get disheartened and think, I've had enough. You know, I didn't realise this pest was here until it got really bad and I'm going to chuck it out. Yeah, and I don't want it to sound like I, I spend hours of my day spraying my plants. You know? <laughs> I, I, you know, if I were to quantify the amount of time I actually uh, spend on caring for my plants throughout um, a regular day, I would say maybe 20 minutes, uh, maybe 20 to 30 minutes at the most. Uh, the thing is, I know which plants on certain days I'll do my alocasia, I'll water them, I'll spray them, and then just put them all back in, in their place. I think it was on Plant Daddy Podcast. They were talking to someone that's a, a expert on crotons. And I know a lot of people suffer with spider mites with them too. And he said something where, you know, yeah, spider mites, you're going to live with them. You're growing crotons. But all you got to do is whenever you walk by it, just spray the back of the leaf a little bit with a little bit of um, water and that should take care of it. And that's kind of like the way I, I treat pests nowadays. If I'm near a plant and I have a spray bottle, you're going to get a little bit of spraying. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> if you're going to have those plants, you, as you say, you've got to accept that those pests are going to be there. And it's just a question of keeping them under control. Uh, and, you know, even if plants have a few spider mites, which, 
You know, I know I'm always banging on about hand lenses, but, you know, you can see with a hand lens, you might have one or two spider mites wandering around. But as long as you're keeping that population uh, at a low level, the plant's not really that bothered. Yeah, I have a Hoya that had a mealybug infestation. The Hoya lives outside now, but, you know, I sprayed it, I cleaned it up. There's still mealybugs there. The plant's still growing. It has a ton of new leaves, but I keep it under control. I go and I give it a spray in every once in a while, but for the most part, it, you know, the bugs are there. You just kind of have to live with it. Is them. there anything else about, though, about alocasias or marantas, German, that we need to, that we need to cover? Uh, I think we're good. I mean, like I said, patience. You just got to be patient. I I have um, alocasias that are over two years old and the same thing with prayer plants. And at some point they look horrible, but they'll come back. They always do. That's a great message to end on. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom on these two groups of plants. And hopefully that's given some tips for those of us who have struggled in the past with these particular ones. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. And it's been great to chat to you. Thank you so much to German for joining me today. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can go and check out my extra chunk of chat with German where we talk about stereotypes to do with gardening among Latin Americans in the U.S., very interesting subject and German's got some interesting insights into that. So go and check out An Extra Leaf number 94 if you're a Patreon subscriber at the Legend or Superfan level. That's it for this week's show. I will be back next Friday. That's July the 22nd and I should give you advance warning that I'm taking the month of August off for a pause for On The Ledge. So episodes are coming out on July the 22nd and the 29th and then no episodes in August. The show will be back on September the 2nd. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, your subscription will be paused for the month of August. Just so On The Ledge can have a little summer respite. But I will see you again next Friday. So you and your plants have a great week. Bye. you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and Oh Mallory by Josh Woodward. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.